what happened between the Testaments, between the Old and New Testaments. We thank you very much for the Old and New Testament, for the scriptures that have been given to us, all 66 books. And uh, we pray that as we study this material, it'll give us a better understanding of what's happening in the New Testament period as we read that and how, it, how this material finishes off the Old Testament. So help us this evening and give us a good time together. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Um, so we're looking at... Um, the history of the intertestamental period, as we have been for several weeks. <clears throat> we started, remember, with David and Solomon, the kingdom, and then divided under Rehoboam and Jeroboam and the various captivities. The Assyrians carried off the 10 northern tribes, 722. Babylonian captivity, the Babylon, Babylonians came in in three different times, 605, 597, 586. 586, they destroyed Jerusalem destroyed the temple. Then the Cyrus uh, and these empires rise and fall. The Persian empire rises 539 BC. And the Cyrus, the great allows the Jews to return and they return under Zerubbabel, under Ezra and under Nehemiah. They build the temple and rebuild the walls. Uh, the Greece, the Jews come back. Most of them come back from captivity in Babylon. Some stay. And there's a whole uh, history of Jews in Babylon, even to this day, although in recent years, you know, with what's going on over there, most Jews have had to leave, but they were there for, you know, a couple thousand years, ultimately more. And then uh, Alexander the Great, of course, we said, conquered the known world. The big thing with him was he brought in the Greek language and culture. The Jews uh, spoke Hebrew and they had picked up a a sister language called Aramaic, which was kind of the universal language of the ancient Near East from about 900 BC onward. And they still used that and used it even in Jesus' day, but they picked up Greek, Greek spread. But the Greeks were very interested in spreading their culture, their, their language, their religion, their way of thinking, their philosophy. When Alexander died, his kingdom was divided among his generals. And so the Ptolemies, uh, one of his general, and the Seleucus, Seleucus, one of his other generals, they vied for control of Palestine. Ptolemy, who ruled in Egypt, controlled it first to 198 BC. And um, then uh, the Seleucids in Syria took control uh, in 198. And they were more ruthless. They were more interested in Hellenization. Remember, Hellenization means Greek, spreading Greek culture, language, religion. And uh, one of their rulers particular, Antiochus IV, really went on a, a mad rampage after he was stopped from taking Egypt. He comes back to the Holy Land. He destroys copies of the Torah, prevents Jews from practicing their religion dedicates the temple to Zeus, uh, sacrifices a swine on the altar. This leads to the Maccabean revolt, of course, uh, led by a priest named Mattathias and his sons, had five sons, but three of them. Judas is a, takes over after a year. He's quite a capable guerrilla warfare guy, and he uh, 
is able to expand their territory uh, that they are under control from the Syrians. And then Jonathan, and then uh, Simon. And Simon, uh, the third son to take, take over uh, <clears throat> in this regime, he is able to uh, actually gain an, a, a truce with the Syrians and gain more territory. And so we call him the beginning of the Hasmonean dynasty. And Hasmonean is a word member from a family name of the, Macca of the Maccabees. Judas Maccab Maccabeus means hammer, Judas the hammer. So this is the Hasmonean period. And over this time, they gained more and more territory under John Hyrcanus, uh, Aristobulus. These are, and these people are really intent on, on uh, uh, Hellenizing their country, Jew, the Jews, uh, trying to convert them over to the Greek way of life and thinking. Uh, I mean, this is really odd because they start off, first of all, as very conservative, Mattathias, Judas Maccabeus, Jonathan. But then time you get to John Hyrcanus, all of a sudden these uh, really Pharisees from the Pharisee branch have now switched over to uh, think more in line with, the, with their Seleucid, <laughs> Seleucid uh, uh, former captors and uh, conquerors. So they're adopting uh, John Hyrcanus is, Aristobulus is, Alexander Unias, and they are gaining more and more control. They're more and more land, but they're, they're siding with the Sadducees who are more in tune with Greek culture and language and traditions. Still Jews in name, you know. And then uh, after Alexander Unias dies, his wife takes over, Alexandra, she has two sons, Hyrcanus and Aristobulus. And she, uh, after her death, she places Hyrcanus, she names him as her heir, but he's very weak. <clears throat> and uh, so that doesn't, uh, that doesn't last long. His brother, Aristobulus, who's much stronger military guy, he forces Hyrcanus to abdicate and he takes over as high priest and king. Remember they had combined the offices of high priest and ruler in the Hasmonean period and they call themselves kings. So uh, Aristobulus uh, takes over, forces his brother Hyrcanus out. But there's another actor on the scene, a man named Antipater. Antipater is an Idumean and that's the land of Edom in the Old Testament that's south of uh, Judea. And he had been appointed governor uh, of Idumea by the Hasmoneans. And uh, he is really interested in rising to power him and his family. And so he persuades Hyrcanus, you've been treated badly by your brother Aristobulus. You should really be king. You're the oldest. And so he gets, he convinces uh, Hyrcanus to get the help of the Nabataeans, an Arab tribe and a uh, somewhat powerful nation to fight against Aristobulus. They do. But then at the time, the, Roman, the Romans are coming on the scene as we talked about their history. And Pompey is uh, the general who is sent to Syria to corral things and to straighten things out. And Pompey, uh, uh, he uh, sides with Hyrcanus. He reinstates Hyrcanus as high priest. And he takes Aristobulus and his two sons captive to Rome, one of them Antigonus. I'll have to talk about it in a second here. 
So Hyrcanus is temporarily back as high priest. He's not king. He's not, he's not the really power, uh, but he's back. And that's the map we showed about how the Romans are. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot my pointer, didn't I? Let me uh, go up here and uh, uh, let's see if I can get, I forgot to make that pointer up. Uh, yeah, I forgot. All right. So, um, so the Romans had, you know, conquered the Mediterranean pretty much. And uh, here's Pompey coming down here uh, as they're taking control over here. Uh, they have to battle the Parthians out here. You know, they're, they're, they're rising power. And uh, Pompey comes in and he decides um, he's uh, putting Hyrcanus back as a uh, high priest. So Hyrcanus the uh, second, um, he's uh, he's now in power, uh, 63 BC, uh, because of the support of the Roman general Pompey. And you remember Rome's politics are getting complicated now because Pompey and uh, Caesar and another fellow are forming the first triumvirate. And ultimately, Pompey will be, uh, he'll, 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 uh, he'll lose out ultimately. So these people here in Palestine, uh, they're going to have to watch which side they want to be on. And so uh, Hyrcanus is made high priest, but not king. The real authority is with Antipater. And they like Antipater, the Romans do, remember, because he can kind of keep the Hasmoneans in, in, in under control, they think. Because they're always worried about this family and their supporters rising up and throwing off the Romans. Well, then when uh, Julius Caesar, uh, when Julius Caesar, um, when Julius Caesar, let me see if I got this right here. Yeah, okay. When Julius Caesar defeats Pompey uh, in Egypt in 48 BC, Hyrcanus and Antipater join him. And so Caesar appoints him, that is Antipater, the Idumean, procurator, the governor of Judea, and he reconfirms Hyrcanus as a high priest. And it gives him kind of an honorary title. Doesn't mean much, but it's ethnarch, which means ruler, a ruler of a people, but it's just sort of an honorary title, ethnarch of the Jews. And Antipater is the real power. He appoints his son Herod, governor of Galilee. Herod becomes betrothed to Mariamme who is the granddaughter of Hyrcanus. So Herod, remember, marries into the line of the Hasmoneans. And here's uh, Herod the Great. We looked at his chart, uh, his family tree, and here's his wife, Mariambi. He marries her. He's divorced Doris here. Remember, he had 10 wives. These are uh, five of them. And uh, then... Um, Antigonus uh, comes to power. Remember, Hyrcanus is 63 to 40 BC. But Antigonus was the son of Aristobulus II, who had been you know, carried off to Rome by Pompey. So Antigonus escapes, and he overthrows his uncle Hyrcanus, and Herod has to flee. Uh, what's happening here is, on the world scene, the Parthians, that group I mentioned on the east, they're attacking Syria, and so Rome 
and everybody, they have to pay attention to Parthian. So what Antigonus is doing down there in Judea, they don't have time to mess with that right now. So Herod, he doesn't have any troops or anything much. He has to flee. Uh, and he goes to Rome. So we talk about Herod the Great here. Herod goes to Rome. He's designated king of Judea by the Roman Senate. And he returns to Palatine and recaptured it by AD 37. Antigonus was beheaded, and that ended the Hasmonean rule forever, and Herod takes over. Now, Herod was able to do this because he was backed by Roman legions. So here's a, a kind of a map showing where the Roman legions were stationed. They were stationed on the outskirts of the empire. If you look around here, uh, Italy and around here in North Africa, you don't see any legions because these are fairly, there's one down here, but fairly peaceful. But here on the outskirts, here's Gaul where Julius Caesar, you know, conquered the Gauls and wrote about it in his commentary on the Gallic Wars, which everybody who takes Latin in school used to have to read that. But here in the, in, the, in the edges of the empire, they station, and over here in Syria, they've got some, they've got some uh, Roman legions. So Herod comes back and he's got, he's got access to the legions. And of course, they're pretty powerful. These, are, these legionaries are Roman citizens, Roman soldiers who are Roman citizens, and they're the elite troops of the Roman empire. Now the Roman empire has other troops as well called auxiliaries. And they're made up of non-citizens in these uh, districts that Rome has conquered. And in the New Testament, the so-called, the troops we call Roman troops, they're Roman soldiers because they're commanded by Rome, but they're not really Roman citizens, most of them. They're auxiliaries. They're taken from the Gentile areas around here, Decapolis and other Gentile areas, and they hate the Jews. And they're, they're the soldiers who are really uh, the Roman soldiers we see from the time of Herod, 37, when the legions leave, until AD 70, when the Romans come back in to do, when, when the Jews revolt, as we'll see, then the legions are sent back in. And the 10th legion uh, right here uh, stays for about 100 years there in camps right there in Jerusalem. So uh, the troops we see are really uh, Roman auxiliaries. And you, you, there's an incident in the book of Acts where Paul, when he comes back to Jerusalem after his third missionary journey, he's taken prisoner in the temple complex. There's a riot there and he's taken up and he claims his Roman citizenship. And he says, hey, you know, is it lawful to, because they're going to they're gonna torture him and examine him. They can't figure out from the crowd, why in the world are they rioting in the temple mount? What's going on? So the only way they can figure it out is they're going to question Paul and torture him until they get some answers. And he brings up his Roman citizenship. That puts the fear of God in them, so to speak. And they back off. And the commander comes down and says, hey, listen, I, how'd you get to be a Roman citizen? I had to pay a lot of money for mine. And what he means by that is people like him, to become Roman citizens, they often bribe somebody to put their name on the rolls to get them you know, into the Roman citizenship. So these are the, the, the legions that the Rome had at its disposal. Now we talked about this last time about Herod's jealousy and his, uh, uh, his uh, fact that he was uh, paranoid and paranoia. And he was always thinking that 
his family who were, you know, partly Hasmonean, partly from the Maccabees and because of his wife, Mary Amby, they were, they always thought they were plotting to get him and to kill him. And so he ends up, you know, killing uh, and murdering his wife, Mary Amby and three of his sons. Uh, so here's Mary Amby. He actually murders Antipater, Aristobulus and Alexander, uh, three of his sons before he dies, Antipater right before Herod died himself. And uh, Herod uh, changes his will um, six times because he's, he's always afraid somebody's trying to overthrow him. And so he, uh, he's very paranoid. And uh, before his death, we talked about the visit of the Magi who come, you remember, and say, where's the king of the Jews? And, and Herod's upset about that. He's the king of the Jews. And so that's where the massacre comes in from Bethlehem. Uh, he's trying to kill off any pretender as he sees it to be king of the Jews. Herod had this impressive building program we kind of mentioned last week and uh, which he introduced, used to introduce Western architectural elements across his kingdom. He constructed fortresses, palaces, aqueducts, stadium, amphitheaters, and even entire urban areas. Quite a building program, amazing. Some of them are quite interesting. The Antonio Fortress, named for Mark Anthony. Remember, Herod, uh, Herod favored certain Romans. He favored first Mark Anthony uh, when, when in that second triumvirate with Octavian, Augustus. And then he changed, then he, then when Octavian, when Mark Anthony was defeated and ultimately committed suicide, Herod quickly switched sides to Augustus and he made such a plea that Augustus believed him and uh, kept him in power. So he built that Antonio Fortress at, on the corner of the temple, on the northwest corner of the temple. Masada, which was a fortress he could go to, and the Herodium, another fortress. The port city of Caesarea he built in honor of Augustus Caesar. His most important, impressive project was the Temple Mount itself and the Jerusalem temple in 20 BC. Started in 20 BC, it wasn't finished till way after he died, 63 BC. It was still going on when Jesus in the Gospel of John said, been working on this thing for you know 49 years. So it was still going on and not completed till shortly before it was destroyed. Uh, remember we said Jesus was born before Herod's death in four BC, probably around five. So I just uh, mentioned some of these massive building things that Herod, uh, Herod did completed. Uh, Masada, here's the Dead Sea, and here's Jerusalem up here. Qumran we'll talk about later. The Dead Sea Scrolls were found here. Here's Jericho up here. Herod built a tremendous uh, palace here uh, in a very dry, hot place, and he had aqueducts. You can still go to Jericho, and you can look off to the west, southwest, and see the part of the aqueducts that he built to bring water to Jericho. That's the hottest place I've ever been in my life. It was like 120 degrees and the humidity you couldn't even breathe, but he built, uh, had water brought in there. But we're talking about uh, Masada here, which is the fortress he built. He built these things to protect himself because he was always afraid of uprisings of the Hasmoneans. In fact, when uh, Antigonus came, remember, and, uh, and, and he had to leave to go to Rome, he, he put his family down here in Masada and he took off, you know, down here. 
they almost died uh, because of lack of water before he rescued them. So here is the uh, Dead Sea over here, and here's Masada here uh, in this aerial view. Here's another view of Masada here. Uh, if you ever go to Jerusalem or go to Israel, this would be one of the places on the tour for sure. So there it is. You can see it's uh, quite a, an amazing uh, fortress place. Uh, it's uh, 1,500 feet above the Dead Sea. 1,500 feet. It's about uh, 1,950 feet long and uh, 650 feet wide. Uh, encompasses about 23 acres. There's a snake path here that you can walk up if you want to. <laughs> and that's, uh, that's about 900 foot there to walk up there. And uh, when Pansy and I were there, we walked up the backside. Over this, can't see it over there, but there's also a tram you can ride up and uh, just ride up on a tram, which is much easier to do, obviously. So here it is, another view from satellite. Uh, kind of thing. And uh, here's it from the south. So he had palaces here. He's got a palace over here. He's got a palace, Western palace, synagogue, all kinds of things they've excavated here. And wherever uh, Herod went, he had water. Herod was a Roman. And Romans love their baths. If you don't have baths, you're not really a Roman. And they have baths everywhere. City of Rome had thousands of them. And uh, here's a cistern that he built there that holds 1,440,000 cubic feet of water. Most of these were fed by some sort of aqueduct. Uh, one was actually water had to be carried and filled this thing up. Sometimes they were filled, some, you know, filled by rains, uh, in certain seasons, but there's a tremendous amount of water there because he had uh, baths. Here's a bathhouse. They've covered some of the frescoes here on the wall, beautifully decorated. Uh, here's the Frigidarium. So you have different aspects to the, I should have put this afterward, but you have different parts of the bathhouse. And one part is uh, you, go, you dip yourself down here in cold water after you finished your kind of sauna. Here's a bathhouse caldarium, and this is kind of like a sauna. And so you have uh, wood and stuff under here, and you burn this, create heat and so forth. You have pipes that come up here and generate steam. So you have kind of a steam, steam heat, steam bath, and then you cool off down there. So he had that fortress where he could escape at times in case things got rough in Jerusalem. Um, we also, he built another place called the Herodium. This is the only place he named after himself, uh, Herod did. And um, this is another fortress here, south of Jerusalem. This is the Herodium from the southwest. And uh, it was constructed between about 22 BC and 15 BC. It's built on sort of a natural hill, but it's built up quite a bit from the natural. It rises about 180, 180 feet. Um, there's a stairway that's about 300 feet to climb this thing. It's a, quite a climb, but I think Opanza and I were there. 
uh, when we went to Israel in 2000. And this is an aerial view. So he's got a synagogue, you've got a courtyard, you've got bathhouse, there's water here. Just like everywhere he was at, you had to have these bathhouses, Roman baths. Here's a satellite view, you can see it's quite a, quite a fortress. So you'd be pretty safe here in this kind of thing. This is an interior from the North Panorama here. You can walk down these steps here and see, see what remains here. Um, they have actually found uh, in recent years, they found Herod's uh, where he was buried. He was buried at the Rhodium. They were looking for many years. They were looking for, uh, they were looking for many, uh, they were looking for uh, where Herod was buried and they, uh, Finally found it pretty sure there at the Herodian. And now we come to uh, Jerusalem and uh, the Temple Mount. Uh, this is a model uh, of Jerusalem of what it looked like in the New Testament period. Actually just a little later maybe than the, than the uh, New Testament. This is the, there's a wall out here that was not there say when Paul was there, this was the the wall as far as it went here, around here and down here. This is a model. Uh, this model used to be when we were there and for many years it was, it was at the Holy Land Hotel. There was a hotel there and this model was built at this hotel. And so if you went to Jerusalem, they would take you to this model generally first and show you, you know, Here's the temple and here's the court of the Gentiles and here's the Antonia fortress and so forth. And uh, then you would go to Jerusalem and look at it. But now this model has been moved to the Israeli museum. So uh, you, you generally you go to that last. So I'm not sure what the tour guides do. So that's the model that best we know kind of what Jerusalem would have looked like. Certainly in by Paul's day, Jesus day, a little later in Paul's day, maybe. Here's a, a view of what the Temple Mount looks today. So this is the Temple Mount here. It's the same mount uh, that uh, was there when, um, when Jesus walked here and Paul. The entrance was really down here on the south side. There were gates here and there were steps leading up here. And if you ever go, you'll go to these steps here. And leading up here, there are all kinds of ritual baths here where you would dip yourself, immerse yourself to purify yourself before you went into the temple area. And of course, what's there today is uh, the Dome of the Rock. <clears throat> it's kind of a monument to celebrate where supposedly Mohammed went up to heaven to consult with Allah and the prophets although the Quran does not mention Jerusalem by name at all, but this is where the Muslims believe that he, he uh, they, they say that this is where he had his night flight. There is a mosque there, a place, you know, Alaska mosque there to pray and so forth. Uh, so this is the, we're looking at the east side here, the Golden Gate, uh, south side over down here and the north up here. And this is where the Fortress Antonio would have been so we're looking again at this model, and this is about what it would look like. This was a fortress for Roman soldiers 
to guard the temple area, keep peace and so forth. And when Paul comes back in the book of Acts after his third missionary journey and he goes into the area, uh, the Jews accuse him of bringing a Gentile into uh, this area here. This is the court of the Gentiles here. They accuse him of bringing into the temple area proper and there's a riot and troops have to come down from the fortress and kind of rescue Paul and take him up there. Um, here's the model. Uh, we're looking uh, east now from the west side. And so here's the fortress here. And this is the Royal Stoa. Uh, this is built to model a building in Greece. But this is where the Sanhedrin would have met in Paul's day here in the Royal Stoa. Here is the temple proper and so forth. Um, right, actually, I didn't mark it here, but right here is probably Calvary right here outside the city wall. Jesus was crucified outside the city wall, probably right here on that model. Um, so here's a temple mount that uh, Herod uh, doubled the size of. So here's the temple and King Hezekiah's time and so forth, the Seleucids. And here's Herod. He's kind of, he's doubled the size. He's made it twice as large, the Esplanade, the flat plain, as it was uh, before him. Quite a magnific magnificent uh, building project. Here's the south side. We're looking from the south up to the Temple Mount. Here's the city of David. Now, this is what we talked about before on those maps. This is where David captured Jerusalem. That's all it was back then right here. And it's really quite fortified because down here, there's a, it's a steep slope here. Now there was a steep slope here called the Central Valley. So it was a steep slope on three sides. Down here is the Valley of Gehenna Valley here. It's been filled in. And uh, so it was, there was only the North that was uh, not defended, not uh, guarded by a deep ravine. So this is the original city of David, and then Solomon builds the temple up here to the north. So here is uh, what's called Solomon's porch, or the, you know Jesus teaching there here in this area. Um, here's the temple sanctuary, the Royal Stoa. Here's the western wall. I'll point that out. This is the western part of the temple. I'll point that out because I'll show you an actual picture of what it looks like today. And if you go to Jerusalem, this is where you'll come to the temple. It's difficult these days to get onto the Temple Mount. We had a difficult time even back in 2000. Uh, the, the Arabs don't like it very much when we go up there. And um, I understand it's pretty hard to get up there today, but, and they watch you the whole time you're up there. And while you're walking around, you can't really, can't have a Bible up there or anything like that. And uh, so that Western Wall, here it is right here. This is what it looks like today. This is that Western wall. And this is at the Feast of Tabernacles. But generally you'll see it where Jews are praying. They'll, they'll be praying right along here. There's actually a place for men down to the left and women up to the right to pray. And uh, if you go there, you'll be able to see some of the original stones. Now, Jerusalem has been destroyed and rebuilt. And so uh, down here at the bottom, there are some original stones from Herod's time, and they're very large, huge stones. There's no mortar or anything. They're just fitted. And some of these stones, it's hard to believe, but they're the size of a bus. Uh, it's, it's just impossible to hardly believe that. 
And actually today you can go underground here today. They've dug underneath here. You can go underground and see that. These up here are more later in later centuries when the Muslims control this and so forth. So here's the temple again. Here's the southern entrance with the gates and um, some question about those gates where they were and must think there was a triple gate, but he walked up here. And uh, so that temple, the fortress, this was, these were tremendous projects. Here's the court of the Gentiles where Gentiles could go, but they couldn't cross over this balustrade right here, this wall that only Jews, Jewish men and women could go across. There's that fortress Antonio that we talked about from our name from Mark Anthony. Here's that temple, the temple itself, uh, a model of the temple. And out uh, here would be the first court, it would be the court of the women and court of the men and so forth. Here's the court of the women here, the various gates. Here's the balustrade that that we gets brought up in the book of Acts later when Paul tries to, Paul gets arrested in Jerusalem. They accuse him of bringing a Gentile across here, which is ridiculous. He wouldn't do that, but they're just making trumped up charge against him. Tremendous. This was a beautiful thing that people who describe it just are marveled at the, the description of that area. You know, it was probably certainly much better than the rebuilt Zerubbabel temple, you know, but we don't exactly how it compare with Solomon's, but Herod spared no expense for this really. There's a kind of a model, as you can see, uh, what the temple may have looked like one particular model in the time of Jesus. There's the temple complex itself with the court of the women, the court of the men, and so forth. And this balustrade here where they had a sign that said, if you go across this, you'll be, you know, if you're, you know, if you're not a Jew, you'll, you're subject to death penalty. Um, one other project that was mentioned in our notes here is the port city of Caesarea. So uh, uh, Herod built a whole city here that became the major port out of Jerusalem. So uh, this is actually the governor, the, the governor of Judea. This is still in Judea, even though it's north, it's on the coast and it's northwest uh, of Jerusalem. Um, he built a whole city here uh, to honor uh, Augustus Caesar. Um, this is a palace that he built right here on the water, Promontory Palace. There's a hippodrome over here. There's a theater here. And when you go there, you'll go to these places. Uh, when Pansy and I were there, this uh, hippodrome was not actually excavated back then. So I remember, but the theater of course was. Here's what the palace probably looked like. Had water in between. And uh, as, as it's described by historical sources, Paul, uh, Paul would have been kept there. Paul, when he is arrested in Jerusalem and they found out he's a Roman citizen, they say, we're going to take this man to uh, send him off. Uh, the governor says we better send him off to uh, Caesarea because we don't want him to be killed under our custody. So they send him off to Caesarea and he's held here for two years in this palace for a couple of years until he shipped off to Rome. And naturally there was an aqueduct there to bring water uh, from up in the mountains 
all the way down to the city of Caesarea because you got to have baths, you got to have water if you have a Roman citizen. And so he built a tremendous aqueduct. And these aqueducts are something else in the sense that they, they have this very uh, uh, slope that's just very, uh, very low angle, just almost flat, but enough to, to allow water to come uh, from the north to the south without too much water. It's just quite a, an amazing engineering project. Uh, so here's uh, the palace, here's the theater, here's the hippodrome uh, where there were races and sometimes games, but particular races. Uh, I'll talk about that more in a moment. There's a view here from the satellite with the hippodrome here because we'll see uh, Herod Agrippa dies there. There's a, another thing of the hippodrome and the theater. I think when we were there, had they they still they actually have concerts there today. Still use it. So let's talk about uh, Herod's sons here for a little bit. Um, after Herod's death, I say uh, Palestine was divided among three of his sons. So he changed his will six times, but he <laughs> he finally decided on dividing his kingdom up among three of them. The first one was Archelaus. Uh, Archelaus is uh, the uh, son of Malthrace, his Samaritan wife here, Archelaus, and we'll also see Herod Antipas too. And uh, he became uh, the ethnarch of Judea, Samaria, and Idumea. So this area here in the kind of pinkish, uh, orange, whatever this is, color this is. Uh, so he, all this area, Idumea, Judea, Samaria, was given over to Archelaus. And other sons, as we'll see, the other two sons were given other territory. But this is the territory, Idumea, Judea, and Samaria was given to Archelaus. Um, his first official act was the slaughtering of 3,000 of his enemies. When Joseph and Mary returned from Egypt, they wisely avoided his territory and settled in Galilee. So they were fearful. He was just a murderous guy. Archelaus' rule was so oppressive that Jews and Samaritans united in successfully requesting his removal by Rome. He was banished for misrule by Augustus in AD 6, Emperor Augustus. Except for the period from 41 to 44, when Herod Agrippa I was king of all Palestine, Judea was governed by Roman governors. So what happened to this territory was that when Archelaus is banished, the Romans say, okay, we're just going to bring in our own governor. Except for about a few periods when Claudius, we'll see, allowed Herod Agrippa I to control the, air, the territory, gave it to him as a reward. But... Uh, so he had these governors. The Romans called them prefects. Pilate was a pre, they had two different names. They used, first used the title prefect, and that's what Pilate is. We've actually found at that Caesarea city, I showed you there's actually an inscription that was found that mentions the prefect uh, Pilate. Pilate is a prefect. And so he was ruling there because uh, he started in 6 BC. He was ruling when Jesus, of course, was put on trial. And then they changed the title of procurator, but they both mean just governor. So there's Pilate, 
who was Jesus' judge. And we, we run across two others in connection with the Apostle Paul, Antonius Felix and Portius Festus. Remember I said when Paul came back to uh, Jerusalem and after his third missionary journey and was arrested, he was sent off to Caesarea. And the first man he faced there was the governor, Antonius Felix. But he just left him in prison there. And then Portius Festus comes along and he hears his case and he sends him off to Rome. And the second son who rules is Philip. Philip. Um, so here's Philip over here. We had Archelaus. And now we have Philip, the son of Cleopatra, not the famous Cleopatra, but another woman named Cleopatra. Uh, Herod, Philip, the, his actually name is Herod, but he's sometimes called Philip. Uh, seems to be the name he used most, the Tetrarch. And uh, he, is a, uh, he is the governor, the Tetrarch of northern Transjordan, including Iturea, Trachonitis, uh, Gallionitis, and uh, uh, Aronitis, and uh, I'm sorry, and Batania. So his territory is this area here, this kind of brownish territory. Iturea, Gallionitis, Batania, Trachonitis, Aronitis. So this is his area here. Uh, uh, this is... Uh, um, Herod Antipas. Um, I'm sorry, Philip. I, I should go back here. Herod Philip. Uh, I, as I say, he was generally considered a just and conscientious ruler. After his death uh, in AD 34, his territory was briefly added to the province of Syria and then given to Herod Agrippa I, the grandson of Herod the Great, as we'll see. Um, now, uh, Herod Antipas, the third son of Herod, who inherits after him, uh, he became a tetrarch of Galilee and Perea. So here's Herod Antipas. So he's the brother of Archelaus, who was banished for misrule. And uh, Herod uh, Antipas is the tetrarch of Galilee and Perea. So that's this uh, purple area, purplish area here, Perea. And Galilee here is his territory. Um, so the three sons have, the, the three sons originally had Sumeria, Idumea, and uh, Judea and Idumea, but Archelaus is banished. So this becomes ruled by Roman governors. Uh, and then we have um, Philip's territory up here, and then the territory of Antibia, and uh, and. Um, Herod Antipas, uh, this Galilee and Perea area here. As I say here, um, John the Baptist rebuked Antipas for divorcing his wife to marry Herodias, the wife of his half-brother. I don't know if I, we saw that there, but so here is uh, Herodias, uh, who was, her first husband was another Herod Philip, uh, uh, 
not he's not in the Bible except mentioned as the husband of Herodias. So uh, as we say here, um, Antipas divorced uh, his wife and married Herodias, the wife of his half brother. And technically in Jewish law, that would be considered incest, but still he did it. Uh, when Herodias induced uh, her da dancing daughter to demand the head of John the Baptist, so that's his second wife, Herodias, is her da their daughter, uh, Antipas yielded to the grisly request. You remember that was the beheading of John the Baptist. Herod Antipas called, uh, Jesus called Antipas that fox, refers to him as that fox in Luke 13. He later stood trial before him, Luke uh, 23 through 7 through 12. And so we might wonder uh, why that would be the case. Uh, why would Jesus be standing trial before this man, Galilee Perea? Well, if you remember the story in Luke 23, the, the, Jesus is arrested by the temple guard and, and chief priest, and they bring him to Pilate because apparently they don't have the right for the death penalty themselves. And Pilate, you remember, he examines him and he can't really find anything wrong. He can't find anything uh, worthy of death. And uh, they say, the Jews say to Pilate, well, this man started in Galilee and now he's come here to bring his heresy in a sense is what they're saying. So when he hears that, he says, oh, well, well, uh, Herod Antipas is, happens to be in Jerusalem at that time. So he's looking for some way out, some escape, Pilate is. So since Herod Antipas has come to Jerusalem, he decides to send Jesus over to him. And that's, that's how Herod Antipas gets involved in this. So he sends him over to Herod and Herod begins to ply him with questions, but Jesus doesn't say anything, no answer to him. And Herod and his soldiers, they ridicule Jesus. They mock him. They put this elegant robe on him, but they send him back to Pilate. And so Pilate has to try to deal with the situation the best he can. Um, that's Herod Antipas. Let's see. Yeah. Now, uh, let's talk about Herod Agrippa the first. Uh, this is, uh, our next uh, ruler, Herod Agrippa I, 1837 to 44. He's the grandson of Herod the Great and eventually became king over all Palestine. Um, so here he is, Herod Agrippa. He's the son of one of the sons that Herod killed, Herod Agrippa. And then we'll see Herod Agrippa II down here. But here's Herod Agrippa, died in AD 44. We'll talk about that. Um, but he, um, he has uh, all this territory. So Herod Agrippa, as I say here, um, he eventually became king over all of Palestine. So uh, he picks up all this territory here, all this area, and the various dates of when he did that. He starts out up here with this territory and picks up this, then picks up everything. Now, how does he, how does he do that? Uh, how does he get all this territory given to him? Well, that's because he was actually brought up in Rome. 
He was brought up with the royal family and he had close contact with them uh, there at court in Rome. He was a personal friend of the Emperor Caligula. So remember the Roman emperors, you've got Augustus first, Octavian, who was given the title Augustus, and then his stepson, Tiberius, ruled for a number of years, and then Caligula uh, ruled, a grandson. So, and he was just a real crazy guy. He was, he made his senator a horse. He, he, was, a, he was a demonic, just a mad emperor. And uh, he was ultimately assassinated uh, by the uh, Praetorian Guard. The Praetorian Guard are the soldiers, the most elite soldiers in the Roman army, and they're kind of the emperor's personal soldiers, personal bodyguard, and so forth. And uh, so he, uh, he was murdered by them, probably with the consent of the Senate. Um, and uh, when Caligula is assassinated, uh, well, Caligula gives Philip, gives Herod Agrippa the, those northern territories, Galilee and Perea. So he was a friend of Caligula. He gets some territory for him. But then when Caligula is assassinated, he helps uh, get Claudius become emperor. And as a reward, Agrippa was made king over Judea and Samaria. Now, the way he did this was that when Caligula was assassinated, by the Praetorian Guard, there's a real question of what's to be done. And the man who is, the only man who uh, is in the line, the royal line, is, a, is the uncle of Caligula, an older man named Claudius. And uh, Caligula had killed off everybody else. He'd killed off <laughs> all the heirs to the Roman throne, except for his uncle Claudius, who Claudius pretended like he, was, he, was very, he wasn't very smart. He had polio. He is he uh, he uh, he he kind of st he stuttered or some and he walked with a limp and so he was not considered a threat and uh, they didn't know what to do and the Praetorian Guard decided we're going to make Claudius the emperor because they thought they could control him and so the Senate said no we're not having anything of that so they got Herod Agrippa this guy we're talking about Herod Agrippa. <laughs> to, to uh, negotiate this thing. And he does negotiate it in favor of Claudius as emperor. So as a reward, he got all that land that we are talking about. He got his whole territory and you know, it all came to him by Claudius and some later by Nero actually uh, gave him uh, some territory too. Uh, so uh, I didn't I didn't mention here, but uh, if you remember the story of uh, of Herod Agrippa, uh, he dies in AD forty four, and uh, he he there's some debate about uh, whether he was liked or not. He 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 maintained he tried to maintain popularity with his. Um, subjects but the Jews by persecuting Christians. Remember he he's the Herod, he's a Herod who executes the James, the brother of John, the apostle, um, in Acts chapter 12 and puts Peter in prison. Remember that episode in Acts 12? He executes James, he puts Peter in prison. 
But then in Acts chapter 12, there's the episode where he comes to Caesarea and he is there at the Hippodrome probably. And he is kind of accepts the honors as like he's a God or something. And he struck down member in AD 44 and dies there at Caesarea. Probably maybe here, that's, that's very possible. We don't know for sure. That brings us to Herod Agrippa II. Uh, as I say here, he was the son of Herod Agrippa I. So here he is down here. He's the son of Herod Agrippa I. And uh, he receives the, the territory um, of, tet of, uh, of, the, of Tetrarch Philip, which really wasn't Jewish territory. So he's got this territory up here. Uh, He's got this territory right here. And this territory now is all under Roman governors again. All this green is all under Roman governors. He's got a small amount of territory up here. Um, so he's, he's ruling over the Tetrarch, the land of Tetrarch Philip, but it's not really Jewish territory. Uh, now, Paul makes a defense before him and his sister Bernice in Acts 25. That's that case where we come to the Roman governors and the Roman governor uh, is being visited by this man, this Jew, uh, Jewish ruler, you know, who uh, has control of this territory. He's visiting down in Jerusalem. I mean, in Caesarea, I'm sorry, here in Caesarea here, Caesarea right here. And, uh, so he calls in Herod Agrippa, he and his, his sister come in to, to make their defense before Paul. So Paul addresses him there, if you remember in Acts 25, Acts 26. Now he sided with the Romans in the first Jewish war. We'll talk about that next time. The, the Jews rebel in AD 66. The Romans have to send legions down to stop this rebellion. And he retired to Rome in AD 75 and apparently died about AD 100. Um, so this, the Herodian dynasty came to an end at the, with him because he sides with the, with the Romans in the first Jewish war. Uh, he goes to Rome after the rebellion and the Romans, uh, the Romans have no other Herodians ruling anymore. They just govern it directly now as a Roman province. So there's no more Herodian dynasty. So the Hasmoneans came to an end and now the Herodians, Herod dynasty, Herodian dynasty has come to an end. Well, next time we want to talk about uh, those revolts, uh, some revolts leading up to the major revolt in AD 66, the first Jewish revolt. And then there's a second Jewish revolt. I just thought I'd mention these as we close out the New Testament history. I might as well just mention the, the close here, these revolts. And then we'll get into other areas of interest to us. Uh, first, we'll be talking about various parties, the diverse parties like the Samaritans, uh, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and so forth. Who are these people? What were their beliefs? And so on. So we'll get to that next time. All right, let's see here if I can stop this share. 
and uh, in that. Any questions about that? Any of that? Uh, 